0: Serve us, even though we've talked about how that, that does happen, that's an overflow, it's an outflow of who we are, but primarily we don't gather together just for those reasons. It's number one, Christianity is not based on how we feel, it's based on facts, it's based on facts. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse one, it says that Christ died for us, I mean, verse four, um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was raised again according to the scriptures, that he was buried on the um, Oh, I left that part out, that's important, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the twelve, and Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me as one untimely born. As in, like, I, I was different than those, but the same truth is true, is that Jesus showed up in the flesh, visited Paul, he showed up in the flesh after being dead for three days, and the facts are the facts, he was raised again. And Paul even goes on to say, if you don't believe me, talk to one of the 500 people that saw him during that time. And so, that that's the gospel message, that's the good news, and the preaching, that message is the source of life for us as a church, and it's what brings real life, eternal life, to each one of us, and that's why preaching matters, Um, you know, and that was one of the things that was uh, revived in the Reformation, was the, the returning of the pulpit to the center stage, you know, and you look at old churches, sometimes... it's not just thrown up there, but sometimes, like, you have the pulpit over in the corner, you know what I mean? And uh, you have the... uh, I didn't grow up in a Catholic church like you guys did, but, like, isn't the table, like, front and center? And the the word is over at the side. Well, then, what we do is we put the table over there, and the word is front and center, right? And it's not me, it's here. And actually, when I first started preaching, I thought it was cool to have the pulpit over here so I could be, like, you know, one of these cool people talking to people. And then I realized, you know... You got to put the word between you and the people so that they see like it's the word, you know what I mean? Not that you can't walk around when you're preaching, you just got to make sure that, you know, figuratively or literally, you got the word is what we want to hear from, not from a person, cuz preaching matters, right? Aimed away when they didn't get what they had come to get. And so we want to talk about preaching that should be seen as normal when preaching intersects with the community of God's people. So what kind of preaching is it? Well, we say it's expositional preaching. In a word, um, expositional preaching is preaching that exposes the Scripture to us. So when we say that um, a sermon is expositional or expository, we mean that it's designed to explain a particular passage of Scripture. What I like to say is is that the main point of the passage should be the main point of the sermon. And I like to even... um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is going a step further and saying the feeling of the passage should also be the feeling of the message. So if you're preaching about like the widow's son who died and she was crying, you know, you don't come in and be like, oh, he was at a, she was at a funeral and everything was going great. You know what I mean? Don't be all happy and giddy and stuff because like you want to expose the scripture. You want the, the sermon to be a reflection of the, of the passage of scripture. So in meaning, in thought, in, in, you know, in feeling as well. And that's really what we what I try to do um, with what I call the big idea or the main idea it actually comes from a, um, a preaching professor who's passed away now from Gordon Conwell he um, he was a guy who like really made it uh, fashionable a lot of people thought it was a really great idea to try to boil down a sermon to like one big thought one main idea where you have one um, idea of like this is the fallen condition focus of a passage so what like what is this Saying about mankind that that shows that we need that we're a sinner that we need a savior and then how does this passage like elevate and highlight the fact that God sends a savior named Jesus and so that's what I, I try to do with every kind of sermon is to identify the, those kind of things um, and how does it fit in with the whole point of passage of scripture there not that um, the other opposite of expository preaching is topical preaching, and that is where a preacher determines what the point of the message is going to be, and then he communicates that in a sermon, or he uses, he might use scripture, but he starts from a different place, if that makes sense. So in other words, like, a, a lot of pastors, and, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, um, it's just not primarily what we do. Like, last fall, I think it was, or, I mean, we've done it before, where I thought, you know, um, like, the study came out in... I think it was in Swissvale here, and it showed like anxiety and stress was like so high of a concern of the average person here. Like 80% of the people struggle with anxiety or stress, something like big, you know? And we were already talking about this as a church, and so I did like a sermon series on stress and anxiety and how does the gospel answer our questions of of our own life of stress and anxiety. Or we've done stuff like um, different ways, we've done different topical preaches, sermons, um, which again, it's not necessarily bad, but it's not predominantly um, how we preach here. What we predominantly do is what I like to do is to look at a book of the Bible and just work through a book of the Bible. Um, where, or a, a huge passage of scripture. Like when we did Luke, we didn't just start at Luke 1 and go all the way through, like we took breaks with Luke because Luke is, is so long. But pretty much that's how we like to do is just go through uh, books of the Bible. And why why do I think this is a great way to do it? There's a few reasons why why we do it this way. First of all, um, God's word sets the agenda. So when a pastor preaches through a series of passages with each sermon, trying to like identify the main point of a passage rather than a topic, God's word sets the agenda for the sermon. And so... It, it kind of forces a preacher to uh, address verses that he might be uncomfortable with, or that might not fit cleanly and clearly with his theology. It, it really forces us to to explain theology. I know of a lot of pastors who like kind of avoid uh, the theology and try to get into, for lack of a better word, I guess, the practical. You know what I mean? Like, so you look at Philippians or Ephesians or Colossians instead, where Ephesians is. Chapters 1 through 3 is more of the theology, and chapters um, 4 through 6 is more like, okay, therefore, this is how we live in light of what we just understood about who uh, Christ is. So a lot lot of passages will start in Ephesians 4 and preach 4, 5, and 6 and not preach Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, where um, like I think it's important that you preach the whole book. You know what I mean? Because um, what we... um, Need to do is grounded in in what Christ has already done for us. Does that make sense? So, like number two, the preacher learns as he prepares. This is a good one. Expositional preaching is a better way of teaching teaching the Bible because uh, we learn more as we go through this. Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys, I don't. I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, and I'm always surprised whenever I learn something new when I'm preaching through something. In fact, when I first was a youth pastor several years ago and I was preaching in front of a church whenever the pastor would be gone or whatever and I would get a chance to preach or the uh, first Sunday of the year, we always joked it was youth pastor preaching Sunday um, or the first Sunday after Christmas, I had a friend who um, said, I don't know how it came up, but he said, you know, it's really, for me sitting there, I really like it whenever you say, I learned this this week about this passage. And, uh... He's like, you should just share that while you're preaching. Like, if you're going through something and you'd be like, oh, wow, this is really neat. Like, I didn't realize this. To show us kind of the normal person, like, oh, even the preacher, he's learning. He studies, he learns, and he shares what he learns. And it, he said it just is really refreshing for him as a as a person sitting there. And so I tried to do that, and I still try to do it sometimes where it's like, wow, it's like a light bulb for me that goes off. And I want you guys to know the same thing, that like um, – that the pa- like, it's not like I'm just printing off a sermon off the offline. <laughs> my, my father-in-law always jokes about. Did you find one to print this week so you can read it? And I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know what I mean for me anyway. Um, right. Um, so like, it's showing everybody like you need to open God's word, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And number three, it teaches a congregation how to explain and apply God's word right there, what you just said. So um, we all learn together how to look at God's word, and uh, we all learn together how, uh, how we can look at it. And that's where I was excited last week, and Tom said, um, hey, Speedy Gonzalez, you need to slow down, right? You're just going real fast, just talking like an auctioneer is what my grandma used to say. Eric, you sound like an auctioneer up there. You need to slow down. Because I was so excited, right? Because um, Hebrews 3 and 4, I just could see it opening up like an exposition of Psalms 95. And it was just something I'd never noticed before, right? Like the guy who's preaching or writing Hebrews, he's doing for Psalms 95 what I'm doing for Hebrews. Isn't that really cool? I still think that's really neat. And I'm sorry. I get excited, right, Tom? (laughs) Mm, yeah, that's the foundation, right? Um, yeah, it's very um, fun sometimes if you're working through like something with an unbeliever, um, open your Bible and if you have it highlighted like we'll read John 3:16 like read it for yourself, right It's almost like let the Bible do the work for you. So um, letter number C. Preaching equals God's word plus God's people. So everything that, you know, what does preaching do in the church here if preaching is an exposition of God's word? It's God's word for God's people. So what happens when God's word intersects with God's people? And there are three things to consider here. First of all, application. So um, when we apply God's word, it's a responsibility for each of us to hear. So the thing is, is, so I try to come up with a sometimes an outline if the passage of Scripture lends itself to an outline to understand it better, which, by the way, we have an outline today for the sermon. If nothing else, I like to come up with like a big idea. Not that you have to have a one idea, because even if I think like this was impactful for me and this is what I think the main idea is, man, a lot of times God will use his word to speak to you and you get something out of it that I never even planned. Sometimes I don't even think I say something and somebody comes up and says like, Oh man, this is really helpful. Like it really spoke to me in this way. And I'm like, "Woo! I don't remember saying that, you know, I don't even think I said it. I think like you heard, like, you heard something, you were changed. You know what I mean? The Holy spirit did a miracle where I do not even think I said something or maybe I did. Cause sometimes even though I like write stuff out, what I want to say, God will like, tell me to, um, like, I'll say stuff I don't plan on saying, and I'll plan on saying stuff that I don't say. And so that's just kind of like what happens when a preacher is preaching, and the Holy Spirit is applying the word to you, to your life. And what I want you to do, what I encourage is, is like, if you're available, um, Tom does a Bible study on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock, so, or whenever we've done small groups before Covid is like we kind of use the scripture to open it up again during the week, or maybe you open it up yourself, or maybe you know where we're going this week, and so you read a passage before you come. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can interact with the scripture uh, that is not just hearing it once and then leaving it behind. Is to say, okay, how does this affect us, and how does this apply? You know, how who when you talk with somebody, you talk to somebody about Hebrews, or it comes up again. And then think about how it applies to you and your family and your church. Like, I'm not the best, honestly, of applying it. I think of more individual when I apply it, and what I want to do better how I want to grow in preaching is how can we see it applied to us as a community of believers? So I think of how it applies to the unbeliever, how it applies to the churchgoer, how it applies to the growing Christian, but I don't always sit back and think, okay, how does this apply to us as a people group, right? As a formed people group. So that's but that's one of the things that we can do. See how it applies um, to every person. Uh, so contextualization. That's that's what I was getting into there as well. Is that how does it how does it apply in our context here? And again, a sermon that's preached in, in Michigan is going to be different where it came from before. It's going to apply and look differently than it's preached here. You could take the same passage. This is one of the reasons why. Um, I don't take a sermon, even if I want, if, like let's say like 10 years ago, I preached James in the youth group that I used to lead, or in the church I used to be a part of. I'm not going to take it and preach the same message here, because I know it's the same passage, and, and God's word doesn't change, but I've changed over the last 10 years. I've grown, and, and not only that, like, it's a different context, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, I don't take a sermon out of a filing cabinet and just be like, okay, I'm going to use this sermon now. I would always say, what does it look like for us today? This is a different world than it was 10 years ago. And it's going to be a different world 10 years in the future, but God's word doesn't change. And so we look at God's word and we, we talk about um, how does it fit in with our own lives? What's God teaching us from his word? Uh, which is why actually I've heard pastors that say they've preached a sermon and then they've like kind of they've re-preached the same sermon like a year or two later. Almost not the same sermon, but the same passage because you could hear, and that's another thing too, you could hear the same sermon twice and get two different things out of it too. That's that's happened before too. I wouldn't do it, but I've heard of a pastor said he preached the same sermon four times in a row and then he'll go to the next sermon the next month. Um, I, I've never heard, only heard that one time because they said every time they preach it, like you have different people that are there because generally people don't go to church more than two Sundays in a row, and then they said they're, they're like emphasizing different things every time. And I thought that's an idea, but I, I don't want to just assume that people are coming once a month. That's another thing too. But that's just like, oh, nobody's going to be here next week that was here this week, so I'll just preach the same sermon, you know. Um, but that's kind of what he was saying is just like as a way to even show that if somebody was there, they're probably going to get something else out of it a second week. It's something to think about that you think, I'm not doing a TED Talk up here. You know what I'm saying? This is totally different. And it might look the same to the unbeliever, but to you who's coming in like, God, teach me something from your word, you know? It's going to be different. And that's uh, number three, authority. Again, like, I'm, like I said at the beginning, preaching is about bringing God's word to God's people, and this is the authority that we stand on. And there are things called lectionaries. I didn't know this when I was in college and then I learned years later, you mean I could just buy a book of sermons? <laughs> you mean I could just buy sermons and just like get up and read them? I didn't know I could do that. I thought it was a joke. It's not a joke. You can really like not prepare and just look at it, okay, what's the sermon for today? And give this right, right from the book, not the Bible, but from a book. Well, I want the authority not to be some book. I want it to be the authority is the word of God. And I want uh, everybody to understand like um, that. Our final authority for life and doctrine comes from God's word, period. Any um, questions or comments about preaching? Where it comes from or why we value preaching? Another thing I forgot to mention about authority um, is that uh, this, we uh, just tweaked our bylaws this year and made it clear that, um, and and I think it's good to have this in the bylaws, that if I start preaching a false gospel, I should be removed immediately. And um, we shouldn't mess around and say, oh, like, like we'll vote on it in six weeks or something, or we voted him out, but we're going to let him stay for three or four weeks or whatever. We need to make sure that whoever the preacher is, they're not preaching a false gospel In fact, wasn't it Paul, what? Did he clarify then? Yeah. You know, it's really neat. I actually heard a story. I thought it was, um, who's the guy in, uh, who's the pastor in Tennessee? Ray? Orland, yeah. I think there was a story about he was in a men's Bible study, or he was in a men's group, and they have a pretty good, it's a big church, Emmanuel Church in, in uh, Nashville, and they, they have a men's Bible study. It's like a hundred people, and they were doing something, and uh, somebody corrected him about something, and right away he was just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're right." Like this guy who's like, he was very quick to submit himself to the Word and not to be well like offended that somebody brought up something, and he wasn't going to be like, "Well, I," he didn't try to explain it away or anything like that. He was just like. You know, oh, yep, the word says that. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, and he is a very well-known preacher and theologian. He just retired recently. Uh, just an amazing guy. And um, But they said, like, somebody else was observing it, saying how it's very great that we say, I, I, I misspoke. Or, you know, I misspoke, or you're right, or that's the God's word. Like, that's it. You know what I mean? And you're right, uh, Phil. Preachers do in their exuberance or in rambling or something. They, they might say something and slip, right? But the truth is, is like, if you say, hey, did you mean that, like, about that? And I would be like, oh, you know, I didn't really mean it like that, you know? That's not what I meant. But again, um, um, Galatians chapter one, Paul says, you know, if somebody comes preaching a gospel that's opposite, then don't, if, what do you say, If myself? Or an angel, of the Lord preaches a Gospel that's not what you heard, what you've received, then don't listen to it. Or um, Paul, Second Timothy chapter four verse three, Paul tells Timothy that some people are going to demand false teaching, and we need to underst- like we need to be aware of that. And um, it, he seems to put that emphasis like on the church, like the church needs to know false teaching and, and not to put up with false teaching. Um, so Roman numeral three, moving on is prayer so I want to use the rest of our time to think um, about praying, specifically praying as it applies to the local church we all know that prayer is important but we think that um, prayer, when we talk about prayer, we generally think of private prayer we think of the time that we go into our prayer closet and pray to our Father who is in heaven, who hears us but also we know that the Bible and the Lord teaches us that prayer is corporate as well. Do you guys know the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those as we forgive our debtors. And lead us 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 not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Notice the our Father and the us and the our. I mean, there's a pluralness. There's a corporate nature to that prayer that we are praying this together. And we pray together when we gather as the church. And that's why congregational prayer is important. God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31, they were gathered together in prayer. I thought you had your hand up there for a second. Okay, go ahead. Don't be afraid um, to share prayer requests. I should put on the connection card, like, like prayer requests for public prayer. Um, I always hesitate about, like, do people want prayed for? But you're right. I think there's a lot of value in that. And whether it's from, I think, it yeah, there should be needs. Or I've been in churches generally with... Um, I've been to other churches where we print a list of prayer needs in the bulletin, and it's usually like like shut-ins or people that need prayer, which, yeah, I think it, I think it would be valued to have more prayer time because, um, number three, which we'll get into in a second, that it unites us. We know. And, um, well, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, where they were meeting was shaking, and, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So when God, God's people join to pray, God works, and God is glorified through the unity of our prayer. Unity among God's people glorifies God, and we know that um, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul calls on the entire church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And praying is one of the ways that that happens. It joins us together to one another. And we grow together when we pray together. And then number three, corporate prayer unites us. This is the thing where uh, when we were doing small groups in homes, we always make it a point to have prayer together. And I've told, you know, group leaders and other people, like, Make sure you set aside time for prayer. And at first, I used to think, like, don't waste so much time talking about prayer requests and get right to praying. And then I realized that when you share a prayer request, you're really sharing what's on, like, who you are, your heart, like, the core of who you are. It's almost like prayer is important together, but also it goes with the sharing time. When you get into the sharing time, yeah. Um, and, even, like, you can do that on the corporate gathering on a Sunday morning. You can do that in a community group. You can do that when you have people to your house. You can do that in conversations. Um, and there is something nice about being together, sharing together. Even the community groups, I think a lot is accomplished there. Another thing is, is it helps um, unity, it helps you, too. When we pray together, we we take other people to the Lord in prayer. I mean, there's supplication. That's what it means. Like you're praying for other people, and um, it draws us closer to each other. It draws us closer to God. It reminds us to, of God's working in people in individuals' lives. It um, it's not a burden either. Another thing is is like. Um, Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So look at the last verse there. That many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So the question, was it a burden for um on these believers to pray for Paul? No, they would not say it was a burden to go. They were—they thought it was a privilege. They thought it was a privilege and an honor to be able to go to God in prayer there. So um, is it a, a burden that you ask somebody to pray for you? No, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. That we should um, keep that in mind. Corporate prayer teaches us how to pray too. This is uh, one of the, the patterns of prayer that I've done before is acts of prayer a-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we um, pray prayers of adoration, where we pray prayers of um, thanking God for who he is, adoring God, giving God praise. Prayers of confession, where we confess our sins individually and corporately. Prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done. And then, like I said, prayers of supplication is where we offer our requests to God, who's, who hears our prayers and hears our requests. And so how do you pray for our church? I, I like the, um, the the corporate prayer time where we take time to pray together. And when you, on Sunday morning, when you, where it's prayer time, you don't just, um, you're not just sitting and listening, but you're praying with the person who's praying, praying in agreement, praying with them. And then praying for our church. How can you pray for our church is, and I, I hope this becomes, a, this is a regular part of your life as well, praying for the the pastor and elders uh, the preacher Paul asked in Ephesians 6 19 he said he's asking them pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should so Paul great apostle Paul is asking the church to pray for him when he's preaching and if he needs help, how much more do I need help? You know, how much more, you know, does the person preaching? You need to be praying for that person. Uh, number two, pray through um, our membership directory. Pray for one another, even if you don't know specific needs, or even if you um, want to pray for somebody, um, ask them how I can pray for you. Ask, um, ask somebody, or and if they don't just, even if you don't ask them, you can pray for for people. It's a way to really, like I've said before, you really get to know somebody when you start lifting them up in prayer and then pray for our church as a whole. you know um, we want to make uh, we want to um, make Jesus well known. you know we have that plaque out front that an, an embassy of the kingdom of the of, of heaven and we want our church to be a lighthouse to the community. We want to show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person who, comes through these doors or walks on these streets. And so pray that our church would be able to, um, to do those things. And on the back, here are some ideas of, of ways that we can be praying for our church. And so you can take this home and you can use this this week. You can take it with you here. There's um, praying for our church. Pray for the regular preaching of God's word. Pray for our witness of unity and diversity. Pray for our evangelism and for conversions. Pray for our daily lives this week at work and at home, that we would do good, honor God, and commend the gospel. Pray that we would see relationships in the local church as part of what it means to be a Christian. Pray that we would understand the need to make our relationship here transparent. Pray that we would expect conversions with our church members often to be deep uh, conversations, sorry, to be deep and often theological in nature. Pray that we would think it important to encourage each other with Scripture. Pray that we would see part of being a Christian as being a provider and not a consumer. Pray that we would not see service in the local church as being primarily about meeting our own felt needs by utilizing our giftedness, but about bringing glory to God. Pray that we would not see it as unusual when our lives become increasingly centered around the local church. Pray that we would see it as unusual when a member's life seems to keep church on the margin. Pray that we would see hospitality as an important part of being a Christian. So those are some ideas of things that to be praying for and to be praying through. How do we want to see where is unity, how does it, uh, the foundation for unity and how does it grow? How do we see God supernaturally at work in our church? We see it through this, uh, the supernatural, God working supernaturally through the ordinary ways of preaching and through prayer. And how, um, as those are like, the normal means of grace that God has given to the church in order to uh, make unity the main thing and to to bring God glory in his church. Any questions or comments about preaching or prayer? Well, let's um, pray together, shall we?